Let's take our Bibles and let's head over to the book of Titus, please. To the book of Titus, we are going to be doing our Bible study this evening on how about this idea of getting older. And when we're thinking about that, there's lots of stories, there's lots of comments, there's lots of side remarks that can be made. Some jokes go this way. It says, you know you're getting older when the candles cost more than the cake itself. Or you recognize the music in the elevator and you can sing along with the words. Or you've owned your clothes so long they're coming back in style. Or everything hurts, and what doesn't hurt, it doesn't work. Now, that may be true in some of our lives, but let's go back to that great um, life scholar, George Carlin, okay, and talk about some of the things he said about growing old. He had a whole shtick and a routine. I cannot mimic that. I'm not that hippy-dippy weatherman or anything like that. But he had this whole shtick about getting older, and he wrote, the, he, his, his spiel went this way. Do you realize the only time in our lives when we like to get old is when we're kids? If you're less than 10 years old, you're so excited about getting older that you think in fractions. How old are you? I'm four and a half. You're never 36 and a half. The idea is for kids, they're always five and a half, six and a half, seven and a half. Then you get into your teens and now they can't hold you back. You jump into the next number, even it may be few numbers ahead. How old are you? I'm going to be 16. You may only be 13, but hey, one of these days you're going to be 16. And then the greatest day in your life, you become 21. Even the word sounds ceremonious. You become 21. But then you turn 30. Oh, what happened there? Makes you sound like bad milk. You turn, so we throw you out. There's no fun now. You're just a sour dumpling. What's wrong? What's changed? You became 21. You turned 30. And then you're pushing 40. Whoa, put on the brakes. It's all slipping away. Before you know it, you reach 50 and your dreams are all gone. But wait, there's hope ahead. You make it to 60. You didn't think you ever would. So you become 21. You turn 30. You push 40. You reach 50 and you make it to 60. By now, you've built up so much steam that you hit 70. After that, it's a day-by-day thing. You hit Monday, you hit Tuesday, you hit Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And then when you get into your 80s, every day becomes a complete cycle in and of itself. You hit lunch, you reach nap time, you make it down to bedtime. Once you're in your 90s, strange thing happens. You start going backwards. I was just 92. And then if you make it over 100, you become a little kid again. I'm 100 and a half. I'm 101 and a half. And he goes on and talks about different things about getting old. We all know that that's an issue, that it's a problem getting older. And the Bible talks about it. It doesn't say a whole lot, but there are a few passages. I know that Psalm 90 has a whole bunch of details about it. But where it's addressed about your age groupings is in Titus chapter 2. In Titus chapter 2, what's happening in this text is he is writing this letter to the church, and he's writing to the pastor of the church. He's saying, share this with the church. In chapter 1, he's dealing with the problem that's in the church, and that is false teachers. They're teaching all different types of things. They're teaching salvation by works, not by grace. They're teaching some questionable things about different variety of doctrines. And in chapter 2, as we get this break, all of a sudden he says, I want you to teach people. You see in verse 1, he says, I want you to teach people. What kind of doctrine? He says, sound doctrine. The word is the word we get hygiene. The idea of this word here is the idea of good, healthy, beneficial doctrine. Teach them something that they can grow by or grow with. 
And so he's going to give them this idea of what is sound doctrine. Now you and I would think sound doctrine is going to be theology, which it is. It's going to be beliefs, which it is. But what he goes on the next few verses, he says sound doctrine includes how you live, what you look like, how you conduct yourself. Because what you believe and how you behave, they go hand in hand together. So what he's doing is he's telling these different age groups and different social groups who get into the slaves, he'll be, they'll be the only non-age group that he talks about. He says, here's how you're supposed to act. You're supposed to act your age, and I want to tell you what to do when it comes to your age groupings. And so he's going to give them sound doctrine in that regard. Before we go any farther, I want you to catch something in this text. What does he call the men who are mature? What word does you, do you have in your Bible in verse 2? Aged. Okay. What about the mature ladies in verse 3? Aged. What's that sound like to you? <laughs> There's all kinds of thoughts going on out there right now. The question is, who is he talking about? What age group is that? And I did, it was fun. It was just interesting to try to go back into some different Bible literature of that day and find out exactly what does he mean by aged. The word that's used there is only four times in the New Testament. Twice of it is in this text. It's used as well in Philemon where Paul is talking about himself and he refers to himself as the aged one. Then the only other text that talks about somebody who is aged or older is in Luke chapter 1. It is Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, where he and his wife were older and unable to bear children at that point. Now Paul is about 60 years of age. Zechariah, we're really not sure, but they're beyond childbearing years. And so aged in that sense is, okay, somebody that's in their 60s is definitely aged. Some of you feel really good right about now. Let me give you some other literature, what it says, okay? Other literature uses the same word to talk about those in their later 40s and 50s that they in their time were considered aged. So now a whole bunch of you join with us, okay, who are in those categories. Basically, when you, if you're one where your kids are leaving home, you were in extra-biblical literature, you were reaching that point of being called aged, okay? If you were one who was definitely 50s or beyond, you were aged, so we have this concept that those who, when he's talking this text to younger and older, we're basically talking to that okay, mid-45 is going to be the older group. The younger is when he's talking about the younger woman and the younger men, he's talking to those who are in their 45, 20 to 45 years. And so that gives us just an approximation. Some of you can be very excited you're in the younger group. Some of you can be more excited you haven't even reached young yet um, by that definition. But that's the text that's dealing with. And when he's talking, what is the Spirit of God say to these different age groups. Let's combine this whole text together, read it through, and then may, let me make three observations from this text that he gives instruction to the different age groups. So he writes and he says, give sound doctrine that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith and charity and patience. The older women, that likewise, that they be in behavior as becomes holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. That they may teach the younger women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. In all things, showing yourself a pattern of good works in doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, but also sound speech that cannot be condemned. He that is, a sh that is of the contrary part, that he may be put to shame, having no evil thing to save you. 
Exhort the servants to be obedient to the masters, to please them well in all things, not answering again, not prolorning, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of our God and Savior. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, godly in this present world, looking for that while looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify and himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak, exhort, rebuke with all authority, let no man despise you. Taking that entire passage, let me make three different practical applications for those who are getting older. Number one, be compliant with your spiritual coaches. That is, be teachable. Be an individual that even as you're getting older, you are entertaining with being taught something. This passage is replete with the idea of people needing teaching. He starts off, give sound doctrine. He starts off where he says that what you need to do, Timothy, is teach these people. Teach the, or have the older woman teach the younger woman. Make sure, as he wraps up the passage, make sure you exhort, you rebuke. Put them in mind, the beginning of chapter 3. The whole passage is about a teaching environment. That in the local church, no matter what the age group, they were to be teachable individuals. And so we bring this to this idea that there are human teachers within the body of Christ that every age group, no matter who they may be, are supposed to be teachable, listening to those who are put into the teaching position. And so he's making that clear, that it's not just the human teachers, though, but he adds a second teacher in this text. He says, as we go further in the verse, where he says, grace has appeared to all men, grace is teaching us, the believers, all age groups. So not only are we supposed to be receptive to those who are teaching us, even if they are younger than us, we're supposed to be receptive to the teachers that God has put over us, but we're supposed to be receptive to the spirit, the, I'm sorry, the personification of, the, of grace that is teaching. Is it grace itself? Is it the person of grace in Jesus Christ? Is it the spirit of grace? I don't know. But he's saying that whatever, whoever is ministering grace, it is also not only bringing us to a point of salvation, but it's taking us beyond that. And what grace is doing is grace is teaching us. It is trying to instruct us. The word that is used here should be noted in your footnotes or in your Bible. You make note of it. Where it says in verse 11, talking about the grace that hath appeared to all men, and then he says in verse 12, beginning the word is teaching us, the word there is not your normal word for teacher in the New Testament. Didaskalos, the idea of the, the person or the activity of teaching, that is the most common usage or, or original word for teacher or teaching in the New Testament. This is a very abnormal one, but it is used. It is coming from the word of the pedagogy, the idea of somebody who's a pedagogue, somebody who is teaching children. It is the idea of a parent teaching a child. And in that instruction, they're making things very simple. They're going to repeat the instruction time and time again. That's what grace is doing to us. Grace, whether it be Christ, the Spirit of God, is trying to get our attention like a parent is with a little child trying to say, look at me, listen to me. No matter what your age, listen. 
be instructed by me. And it's being presented on the level that each one of us may have. And it may vary just like it does with your kids. They have different learning abilities, different learning styles. He says the Spirit of God does that with each and every one of our hearts, trying to mold us, trying to make us so that we are compliant with Him, that we are listening to Him. Now, if we were going to stop and just say, okay, let's just make some observations about this. He is saying to us, without doing a whole lot of other study, he is saying that in God's eyes we are still little kids. That is true even of our families. Some of us that as we are getting older, we are looking at our kids and we are forever seeing them, even though they're in bigger bodies, we see them as our kids. We picture them and we kind of remember things as when they were little kids. Nothing wrong with that as long as we don't treat them that way. But the Spirit of God is saying, I am watching you as kids. And I am seeing you. And I'm looking at you. And I'm going to be your instructor throughout. And I want you to be listening to me. He is saying that no matter what our life experiences, and some of you have, have just boatloads of experiences. Some of you have boatloads of training and education in the Word of God. Some of you have degrees and studies. Several of you have gone to Bible college. Some of you have done institute. Some of you did done Schofield Bible studies that used to be done in this community. Some of you have learned tremendous amounts and some of you have been teachers in this local church or other local churches teaching and training in the Word of God. But no matter what your life experiences, no matter how much you know of the Word of God, you and I are still supposed to remain teachable. Even when it's the Spirit of God speaking to us in the privacy of our rooms, our, our homes, where we're engaged with the Word of God and He is trying to train us and teach us. He is saying, there's things in your life, like a little kid, I want to point that out. I want you to grow out of it. So remain teachable. It's saying to me that no matter how mature we get in our physical age and or, more importantly, our spiritual age, we still have room to grow that we still have things to learn. I, I, I think this is true. I think all of us would say this is a truism. When we study the Word of God every time, let's, let's take we're doing Revelation Sunday School. Every time, this is, this is for me, every time I go through the book of Revelation, I find more things there. Is that, is that true of you? You take a passage of Scripture and every time you explore it, you go, wow, there's something there. Now, it's not that I'm exaggerating, but that point didn't catch my attention before. I was learning another point. The Word of God is so rich that no matter how much we know, we are still able to learn more. So for in practical application, for you and I, as we are getting older, we don't have an excuse to say we don't need to study the Bible anymore. We are still, in the eyes of God, little kids, in need of instruction. That the Spirit of God, or even the teachers that God puts in the local church, we're supposed to be under their instruction. We're to be gleaning. We're to be getting. We're to be learning. And so there's no age group where we get a pass when it comes to Bible study. There's no age group that all of a sudden says you no longer need to read your Bible. He is constantly saying, get into the Word, get into the Word. I'm trying to teach you. I'm trying to train you. And so what God expects us to be is teachable. Even if it's by younger teachers, even if it is that idea that you have matured in many ways, you are to be ready and quick to learn versus ready and quick to tell others what to do. So we're supposed to have a compliancy with the Word of God saying, speak to me. Speak to my heart. Don't, don't just, we're not supposed to come to church with the idea, please God use this to speak to so-and-so. Let them have it. 
No, we're supposed to have the attitude, no matter who we are, please God, speak to me. Train me. Mold me. Change me. And so what we have in this idea is we say, okay, with that in mind, I have to ask this question. What is grace trying to teach us? Look at the verse 12. Teach, grace is teaching us what? There are two things in that verse. After the grace of God has made salvation appear to all men, grace is teaching us to do what? What's your first verb there? Denying. What's that mean? Put it in modern 2023 language. Turn away from. Say what? Say no. Say no. So what he does in this text, he says, okay, here's the instruction that the Spirit of God is trying to give to all age groups, no matter who we are. No matter where we are in our spiritual life. He is saying to us that we are to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. Ungodliness is just a lack of devotion to God. He Worldly lusts, you know what that is. It's the lust of the lies, the pride of life, the pride of this world, or the lust of the flesh. It is any kind of physical desires that are, that are in, improper. He is saying those things, or they can become controlling. He is saying we're not supposed to give in to those things. And it is interesting, he's talking to all age groups and saying, even if you're young or even if you're old, you've got to be able to say no to these areas. What, what does that tell you? Do we ever outgrow temptation? No. No, and it's a reminder that what he is saying is this grace is stressing our need to deny these things, to say no to them. So no matter what our age group, we have to pause and, pause and say, we still have struggles with the attraction of the world. We have struggles with this idea of ungodliness, of lack of devotion for God in this present world. That's what he says. He says in this passage, he says, teaching to deny ungodliness and worldly lust that we should, and then he gives the second command, in this present world. And so he's making it very clear, no matter what our age, we've got battles. We've got battles. And you and, you and I are, are going to be very clear on this. None of us, I would hope, none of us would dare say, I have come to a point of maturity that I don't struggle with sin anymore. None of us would say that. Because the moment that we say that, we... Yeah, pride has taken over. And so we know that's not true. The point is, no matter what our age, we need to personally and continually resist or we're going to drift away from the Lord. So let's take and let's do the positive here. Instead of doing that, which is, you know, the worldly things, we're to deny that, what does he tell us to do? Your second command is to live how in this present world? What does he say? Righteously, what else? Godly, soberly. Okay, let's take those. He says those three different ideas. Soberly is, and we, we understand, the modern term of sober means you're not controlled by drink. There's, there's a similar concept there that in the, in the Bible days, that word sober wasn't just dealing with alcohol and being, being under the influence. But it had the idea of having self-control, being of a sound mind, not being persuaded by something else or something, something other controlling you, not under the influences of other people or the culture or philosophies, but rather you are thinking clearly when it comes to biblical truth. So he says, okay, this is what grace is teaching you. Grace is teaching you to think properly, healthy, sound doctrine, sound thinking. Righteously, it is just what is right, what is pure. There's no other way to describe this. To live righteously is to live what pleases the Lord, to adopt the values of the Lord, to live like Christ, to live like God, that's godly. 
to just purpose in your heart to say, I'm going to walk like Christ. I'm going to work like Christ. I'm going to be a teen like Christ. I'm going to do all that God has. And you know what happens when we have this attitude, our values shift. Values are really a funny thing because as we're growing up, our values are what we consider important. They change as we get older. When we're a teenager, some, or when we're, let's go to little kids, some of the things that are the most prized in our life and the most value are toys, games, food, mom and dad. Do those values shift as years go by? Yeah, what happens when you get married? And it's a proper shift. Mom and dad are important, but who has to become more important? Your, your mate, your spouse. Do our values change? Do the toys have the same value in your mind as what they did when you were six years old, when you were 16? If they do, what do we think of that person? They're, they're very immature, okay? And so there's this shifting that takes place. And it even happens as we get older that sometimes God puts us in circumstances that drastically change our values. Some of our folk are experiencing this right now. Some of our church family are experiencing situations of life and death, literally. Their values, as everyone that I've had conversation just says, the things I thought weeks ago was important, they mean nothing. They aren't, they aren't that valuable anymore. It's not that they want to be bad stewards, but in certain circumstances of life, do all of a sudden the things fall away? It's true. The lady on the Titanic that we're illustrating here, she was one of the wealthy women on the boat. And when the ship was hit and they were sinking and they told the ladies to get off the boat, there's a story that, that has been propagated and it's a true story of a woman who ran into her stateroom. She passed up all of her jewelry. She passed up her furs. She grabbed three items that she thought were the most important. Three oranges. That was meaningless to her hours before. But now in her circumstances, it meant the difference between life and death. And so there's a, there's, a, there's a change that happens. And sometimes as we get older, the change is we get attracted to the offerings of this world. We see what others have, and all of a sudden our values become, I've got to make more money. I've got to have more things. I've got to have these possessions. I've got to have at age 21 everything my parents have at the age of 50. And there's this inclination to be successful with possessions. And he is warning these people. He's saying, now wait a minute. You need to deny a worldliness of greed, but you also have to make sure that you're living reasonably soberly, you're living righteously, and you're thinking God thoughts, God values. So he challenges them this, that whole idea with his keeping your priorities right. Now you bring it down and he's saying live soberly, righteously, godly. The word live has the idea every day, every day. Keep on working at this. Keep on working at it. When do you take a day off from living righteously? When do you retire from godliness? When do you say I'm taking off the hat of sound mind and thinking and discerning and I'm going to put it here and... I'm done with thinking common sense-wise. That's what the world is doing right now. The world has taken off the hat of common sense and put it over here, and they are doing things that are totally contrary to science, though they claim to be science-minded. 
And you look at this and you go, wait a minute, we are to be constantly living, no matter what our age group, which by the way, if young men can think this way, and young ladies can think this way, and older people can think this way, what does that tell us? We all have the capability of living soberly, righteously, and godly. We cannot excuse it and ought not excuse it by saying, I'm only 16. Or I'm at this certain age and therefore I, I'm, you know, I, I don't have any responsibilities anymore. No. To all ages, he is saying to them that they need to be teachable no matter how long or often. Now think this through. Denying ungodliness, no matter how long you did something, no matter how much a part of your practice it's been, if it's wrong, it's wrong. Just because you made it a habit doesn't mean that God accepts it. He says you need to deny this. If it is something that is controlling, something that is wrong. Aging, aging doesn't make you automatically godly. You think this through. As we age, we still battle with temptation. We've already noted this. We never outgrow the need to make personal effort to make sure we're thinking clearly, wisely, discerning-wise. We need to put off and put on daily, no matter who we are. And what he's saying in this text, it is possible here and now to live this way in this present world. You can live a godly life. Now that's what he's saying, first of all, to all of us in this text, because the grace has appeared to all, therefore all of us have this ability, we can live godly. Now, what he's saying in this text is he's saying, are you compliant with your teacher? Are you teachable? Are you responding to the Spirit of God? Are you, when you're reading the Word of God, when you're challenged, are you saying, yes, this is for me. Yes, I need to apply it. Are you teachable? There's a second challenge in this text to those who are growing older. It is this. We said, one, be compliant with your coaches, number your teachers. Number two, be careful about your conduct, your personal conduct. He writes to each of the different age groups. <coughs> and this is an entire study. That could take weeks for us to do. But when he's saying sound doctrine, he starts off and he says, okay, here's sound doctrine. Here's what you're supposed to be living life. And he starts listing out what God considers wise, sound, healthy living in your character and conduct. He picks first of all on the older man, the aged man, the over 45 crowd. And he says, make sure you tell these men, pastor, you tell them, you remind them, they're to be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, sound in love, sound in patience. And if we all of a sudden just laid this out very simply, they're to be clear-headed. They're to be stable. They're to be individuals who grave means you're not acting foolish or silly or immature, but you're being dignified. You're acting worthy of respect. When I was a man, I put away childish things. He's talking about that idea of temperate. The word temperate has the idea of self-controlled. The word temperate has the idea of being sensible. It has the idea of thinking things through, not acting rashly in anger or impulsively, but rather thinking clearly. This idea of sound in faith is that you're still studying, you're learning, you're taking in the Word of God. The idea of sound in love, that you older men are not just saying, I love, but you're practicing it in word and in deed, and you're portraying it to your family, to your friends, to the widows, to others in the body of Christ. In patience, this seems very obvious. Why would he tell the older men who are starting to go through those phases where their body is all of a sudden showing aches and pains that they didn't have before and they're to be sound in life's hardships. That is, they're to endure 
Not to be whining and complaining, but rather enduring and going through ministering to other people sound in love, even though they may be struggling physically. So that's what he's told the older men. What does he tell the older ladies to do in their conduct and in their, in their communication, in their behavior? He says to them, in behavior as holiness, not false accusers, not giving them much wine, teachers of good things. Breaking it down, the word for holiness has become holiness. Is, doesn't appear any other place in the New Testament but this text. That's translated this way. It comes from ancient other literature that referred to priests in the temple where they lived a certain way. They were dedicated to that temple, to whatever it may be. Now that was pagan. That was for false worship. But it's the idea of living a committed life that you were dedicated, that you were giving yourself to that individual, that you were reverent, you were godly in demeanor. Then he says you're not a, you are made diabolus. Diabolus is the idea of a slanderer, a gossiper. It, Diabolus is the idea of what we get from, de, from Satan even. He's called, referred to this sometimes. So you're not given in, older ladies, not given in to the idea of gossiping about others. Not given to much wine, which it's an interesting phrasing of the word. Not a slave to wine. I find this an interesting concept. Why do many people turn to alcohol? To escape. Isn't that an irony? People turn to alcohol for an escape or to find freedom, to be loosened up. And actually, what does the Word of God say it's got the danger of? Enslaving people and taking control of them. Does it surprise you? Does it surprise you that Satan would present something that looks glamorous and wonderful and fun and enjoyable and going to have all these benefits, but in reality it's got chains to it? And so he says, not ladies, not given to this. Don't you get involved with this, not controlled by an outside force, but rather you are displaying self-control in situations. You're not controlled by circumstances. You're controlled by the Spirit of God, by a good character, good conduct. Teacher of good things, you're teaching what is excellent, what is beautiful. You're, you're inclined not just to be focused on yourself, but to be focused on ministering to other people. In fact, he says, teach the younger woman. Then he goes on in the next verse and says, what do we teach the younger woman? What kind of character? What kind of conduct? So this is the 45 and younger group. Those who are from high school graduates all the way up to that mid-40s, what does he want you to be working on? Sober, loving your husbands if you're married, loving children, discreet, chaste keepers. Sober is that same word that's shown up now twice, the idea of self-controlled. The loving husbands, we already talked about this, being a friend, being a promoter of your kids. The word discreet is to think carefully, especially it applies in extra-biblical literature, think before you speak. Okay? The idea of being discreet. Chaste is the idea of in body and in mind. You're being pure, holy, being careful. Keepers at home, making your family, taking care of the home, your ultimate priority. Good is literally kind. Being a kind person. That if people look and point the finger and they say, she is kind. What a, what a tribute to you. That is exactly what he's promoting here. Obedience is that idea that we talked about in previous messages, following the leadership of your husband. And then, after he does that, he talks to the young men. What does he tell the young men? So we're talking now the 45, that 20 to 45 age group. What does he tell them? He says there's one thing that they need to work on. And it's only one thing. Is that because young men don't have any difficulties? How come he gave a whole list to the old people? But only one to the young man. Focus is probably right. 
It's that young man, just learning to be sober-minded is going to take you 24-7. You are going to be so focused on sober-mindedness. What is sober-mindedness? Having self-control over your passions, your words, your body. Yep, that makes sense. 24-7, that's what young men need to work on. And we all know that this is true. That these are battles. That these are struggles. But he's listed out these character traits that he says different age groups, as you're going through your life, you need to be focusing on and behaving in a certain proper way. Now, you have to, you have to pause and say, what does this say about you and me? That God is giving such specific details to work on. What does that tell you about us? It tells you several things that stand out. We don't improve with age. Contrary to the evolutionary concept that everything gets better as it goes in age, what does the Bible teach? As years go by, we don't necessarily improve in and of ourselves. We can easily become what? We can become broken down. We can become worse. Does it ever happen that older people, people who are getting older, they become more bitter as time goes by? They become crankier? Stop looking at other people in the auditorium. Okay. Have you seen older people that just become grumpier, crankier, less patient? And they just kind of just, in, they get into this mindset that I'm old and everybody else better just watch out for me. Okay? And he's warning us. He is saying, listen, just because you're sitting under the Word of God. Just because you claim to be a Christian, you don't automatically get better with age. You've got to put effort into it. You've got to address some of your inner issues, not just your outer issues of worldliness. You've got to look on the inside. What is your attitude under trials? How do you treat other people? Are you kind? What do you say about other people? Are you a diabolos? What are you doing when it makes making decisions? Are you thinking clearly and consequentially? Getting older doesn't mean we now can do whatever we want. I had a great-grandmother that all I remember of great-grandma Huffman was this. That great-grandma Huffman would sit in the room and she would always have some phrase. I don't remember how she would say it. But because I'm old, I don't need to be mannerly. And she wasn't. She would burp. She would do whatever. And she was just, she just said, I'm old. I can do it. And for her, getting old meant she could be somewhat repulsive. So you have these things, and you're looking and you're saying, now we know where you get it from. <laughs> I can read that. Okay. Getting older doesn't mean we can now do whatever we want. You know, you know we, we've all struggled with this. When we all of a sudden arrived at the age of, I'm going to throw one out there. When we arrived at 16, 17, 18, what did we think we could do? We thought we could live any old way we want because we got the world by the tail. I'm 21. Okay? I've come to, that's not true. That's just not true. Young men aren't given a green slip to say, do whatever you want because you're a young guy and you're virile and you're right there in that prime of life. And man, you can do and you can talk and you can say anything you want. God says, no, 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 you have to live soberly. You have to be a self-controlled individual. 
If you're a believer, you need to work on this area. It doesn't come automatically. So age doesn't excuse improper character or conduct. Growing older doesn't give us an excuse for being grumpier or being bitter. We could put this, he says, that no matter what our age, we need to be adjusting and addressing character issues in our life. And once we get one of those characters under control, we'll have another one to work on. But we need to keep on, keep on, keeping on. So what he's done here is the Spirit has told us, here's what we're to do, but I'd, I'd, I'd be absolutely wrong to not point out there's a reason given in this text. Several times in this text he says, here's why you need to be careful. And he's given it multiple times now in the text. He has put it this way. You need to live salt. I'm going to put it this way. Sound doctrine, live by it because you're salt and light. What do we mean by that? What do you mean you're the salt and the light? Your example your influence upon who? Other people, especially, first of all, the unsaved. He brings that up in this text. He talks about those outside of the gospel. That you've got to be careful how you act, how you work, how you conduct yourself. That the word of God be not blasphemed. That he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed. That they may adorn the doctrine of, of God and the Savior Jesus Christ. You and I, as we get older... We have to be more and more careful, even at whatever age, but as we get over, because we are to be an example to the world around us. If we are not living different from the world, they have no reason to listen to what we're saying about you need to be born again. But not only those outside the church community, but those inside the gospel community. He is saying in this text, teach the younger woman. He's saying to Timothy, in all areas, show yourself an example to the young men. What's he stressing? He's stressing this idea for us to be able to give out truth, we need to be living on a platform of a transformed life. A genuine life that is acting kind, controlled, gracious, enduring under even the changes of life. Sober-mindedness. So that we are portraying something that is commendable and something that they would look and say, that is freedom. That is where real love is. That is where real satisfaction can come. That person has the peace that passes all understanding. So one, we have to be the idea of compliant with our coach. Coaches. Number two, we have to be careful about our personal conduct. And so what we have to do is we have to ask ourselves, are we being careful at home? Are we being careful at work? Does our speech, the way we respond to trials, the way we respond to troubles, are we showing that we are people of grace? People who are, who are dedicated to the Lord. People who have piety and purity. When it comes to dating, when it comes to how we play sports, we can apply this to all different areas of our life. But number three he says, okay, if you're getting older, be, care be listening to your spiritual coaches, be careful about your conduct, be continuous in your ministry contributions. He says in this text, in this whole passage, he says, here's what I want you to be doing. I want you to be contributing to other people's lives, to be ministering to them. Older women teach the younger women. He is saying, Titus, you teach the younger men by example. In other words, what he's saying to us, godly older saints have much to offer the body of Christ. We ought not to put them out to pasture. We should hopefully engage them in doing the teaching, the instructing, the Bible studies, if they're willing. You know, the church needs those individuals. 
those individuals ought to still be ministering. They should be desiring to be able to invest. Do I understand that you can't do the same ministries with little kids that you did when you were 30 when all of a sudden you're 60? I understand that. But the attitude ought to be, I want to contribute. I may not be able to do the same things, but I want to contribute. I can contribute through prayer. I can do some different types of Bible studies. I can make and be a blessing to the body of Christ. However, in America, the tendency is when we get to the point of retirement, people retire from ministry in a church as well. People walk away and say, okay, I no longer have kids in the junior church program. Therefore, I've done my stint. I'm going to leave it to others, and I don't need to do it anymore because others can fill in the gap. But now you're at that point in your life you have more to offer to be able to teach, to be able to contribute, to be able to help. If you're looking at it as just a babysitting service, I understand you'd have that attitude. But if you're looking at it as this is investment in lives, he is calling us that we are continuously contributing to the body of Christ in some way, shape, or form. In fact, he goes on in this text and in other texts I could run to and say, okay, when did people minister? What age was Moses when he led Israel? He started it at age 80. Okay, I understand that probably in different physical shape. Jonathan Wesley, at 83, after traveling 250,000 miles on horseback, preaching 40,000 sermons, writing 200 books, here's what he did at age 83. At age 83, he regretted he was unable to read and write for more than 15 hours a day. Yeesh. And then when he got a little bit older, he said, I have an increasing tendency to get up or to sleep later than 5.30 a.m. My friend, that's just wrong, okay? Anything before noon is wrong. No, I'm joking about that. But contributing even as we are getting older. What does the psalm say? The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like the cedar of Lebanon. Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish. They shall still bring forth fruit in what? Are you? Are you? So he's telling us that we're supposed to be doing this and where he ends up the text, be zealous of good works. I don't even need to explain that. You know what zealous of good works is. That you have a cartful, a trunkful, a crateful, that you are just doing good works, whether it be visiting, whether it be encouraging, whether it be praying, whether it be writing letters, whether it be giving out tracts, whether it be doing some ministries. Are you that type of person? Or are you using phases in your life? I'm too young. I've got kids at home. I'm too busy. I'm retired. I'm going to want to be able to do my own thing. We can find an excuse for not contributing to the local church at every single age. And it sounds great. But is it consistent with the scriptures? So be continuous in it. By the way, he wraps up the text and I, my time's expired. He gives us two good reasons why. Jesus Christ is coming back. And what do you want to be doing when Jesus comes back? He talks about looking forward to be doing this, all of this, while looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the Lord. When the Lord returns, do you want to be serving the Lord? So he gives us that motivation. He gives us a second motivation. The second motivation, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us. 
Not only the return of Jesus Christ, but the redemptive work of Jesus. What did Jesus do? He gave himself for us. He sacrificed. He spent himself. Then surely I can spend myself for him. Getting older doesn't mean finding comfort. It means spending ourselves. Like Jesus Christ gave himself to do what with us? To redeem us. By the way, redeem means he purchased you. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. And he wants you to be away from the iniquity, to purify unto himself this unique people who are zealous of good works. So we look at this and say, okay, this is, this is motivation. I want to be living and serving for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I hope it's true. I hope it's up until the time that the Lord takes me home. It'll change. I won't be able to preach. Won't be able to keep this schedule indefinitely. That's just, that's just not physically possible as getting older. But I still want to be able to serve the Lord in some capacity. Why is that? Because he's coming back and I want to hear when he comes back. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And the other reason is he did so much more for me. I'm going to have time to rest in eternity. So I need to just serve the Lord with the best of my abilities. So whatever your age, you have to look and say, am I this? Am I an individual who is teachable? Am I an individual who is being careful about my conduct and character and working on some of these inner virtues? Am I an individual who is really contributing in a sense of to the ministry of the Word of God to fellow believers? That's the message for all who are getting older. Father, help us to be individuals that we are taking what this passage says and as we do it, we will be more pleasant to other people. We will be individuals who will be more patient with others. We will be individuals who aren't cranky and burdened by their own aches and pains. Help us to have this mindset that as we get older, we continue to serve Jesus Christ who gave himself for us, who's coming back for us. I pray in his name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. I greatly appreciate it. Have a wonderful week.